Hey everyone, thank you for joining Brian Barcelona's podcast. To know us, we're a missions movement in Dallas, Texas, going after youth being saved, discipled, and sent. Brian Barcelona is the founder of One Voice Student Missions and the Jesus Clubs. To reach youth with us globally, download our app, The Jesus Clubs. We hope you are encouraged by this podcast. Well, I'm super excited. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm so honored to, to have you on, on, on today. I, I am fired up. Thank you for having me. I like your beanie. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. I, got to, I got to meet you briefly in Brazil. Um, and it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, that stadium was crazy. Man, that was our last memory of people meeting in a stadium in 2020. That was, yeah, that was. Good memory, though. Good memory. It is. I'm believing God for more of it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're so bummed we couldn't uh, do a conference in person this year, but so thankful for what you were able to send in to us. Come on. I, I, I pray that it really, you know, kind of will connect. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. My, uh, my, wife, already, my wife already watched it. My wife loves your ministry and, and uh, has been following you for years. And she actually is the one who prepared questions for me today. Oh, okay. So, yeah, I've been married. Uh, we've married six years. We have three kids. So, How old are your children? So I got a two-year-old daughter, a four-year-old daughter, and a one-month-old son. So. Wow. Your, uh, your wife needs to be given an award. Like, that's three <laughs> children under four. Yes, three under four. And she got pregnant three months after we were married. So she actually just jumped on right now. Her name's Marcella. So Marcella, hello. I wish you were interviewing me, Marcella. <laughs> She, uh, she, she actually, she, uh, she does a, a women's one on Thursdays. And so one day uh, I'm going to jump on with her. Yeah. She, oh, she would love that. She would I so would love that. How, now how, really quick, you you live in, in California or? Yes, we do. Uh, that's kind of like where our global base is for A21. Okay. And um, where am I talking to you? Where are you? I'm in Azusa. So I'm right by, pa I'm, our, our headquarters is in Pasadena. That's where we're all based out of. And then I live about 15 minutes away. Wow. Okay. So we're pretty close. Um, and, I mean, the weather here is beautiful. What do you think? Oh, I love it. I love it. I did not enjoy, though, the first week or two of quarantine was raining. No. So. And it made it all worse. It's like, here we are locked up. We're in California. Yeah. This last couple of weeks has been stunning. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely getting getting good. Are you starting to travel again, or is it still pretty? I'm going to start at the uh, end of the month. I want to. You know, this is for um, 30, in 30 years, this is the longest I've been in one city, these four months, <laughs> okay. literally in 30 years. Uh, so we, um, we will start, I think, at the end of June. Um, I love people, so I can't wait, actually. I mean, I, I feel like I've worked harder than ever in these last yeah. um, four months. I mean, it's just been full on but you're here you're in my kitchen this is where everything happens in the whole world right now yeah but the truth is that um i can't wait to get back in get around people um and and just kind of minister live not just like this although i love this yeah, yeah us too we uh so i don't know if you you know too much about one voice we've primarily done high school ministry for 10 years so we've reached, I think at our, at our peak before Corona, we were anywhere between 16 to 17,000 kids weekly gathering. That's in insane. Schools in America. So I've been in like South Central, Compton, East LA, a lot of those schools. And then Corona hit and shut everything. So my life was flipped upside down. 
these last three, four so months. So what did you all do? How have you all been connecting with students? We kept, we, so we did what most people did. We went online, but I think our group that we reach is a little different because it's not church, church kids. Totally. So it go to our, our youth group platform or go to our, so we've been really trying to crack the code of what draws unsaved kids in from their, from their, from their media platforms. So we've taken, we're, we're in, we're in a, a bunch of schools in the U.S. So we had all of the churches we work with shift to online wow. doing clubs, but we've still been having churches start, uh, been reaching and, and claiming schools for when school kind of starts back up. Amen, man. It is uh, uh, the work you do. You know, I started um, in youth ministry, but with kids in schools um, in 1990 in Australia. Wow. That was how I, my first seven years was just schools work. And um, so, uh, um, and reaching the lost people that were not in churches, people that were not in youth groups. And so the work you do is so dear to my heart and so needed because um, the fact is that there is a harvest field waiting if people would go. So good. And that was in 1990. 90, were you born? I was born that year. <laughs> okay, so I feel like this is fruit. We prayed for you all. You weren't even born and I was doing um, yeah. uh, that ministry. And it's still, it's still the passion of my life, which is why I know Nick, my husband, is so passionate about what you guys do. But that, that is how we started. That is uh, the whole foundation of our ministry. Yeah, we, it's crazy because I was an atheist. I got saved when I was 16. Uh, this guy told me he'd buy me a smoothie if I went to church. So uh, he, the joke after that was, man, we're glad you were cheap, you know? So I, I went to church for five bucks. <laughs> I got saved that night, and I went home to a family who wasn't, they weren't believers. And uh, I think it was maybe a year and a half later, I just heard the Lord say, you know, go to high schools. And I, I started yeah. going. I went for one year, and I didn't see a lot of kids saved. It was really discouraging uh, but I knew I had a word. And so I just said, I'm going to give it one more year. That next year, I was preaching in this public high school. There were six kids. And a month later, there was 600. And then that Gosh. 600 grew to 2,000 gathering weekly in multiple schools. And that's when I was like, maybe I have a calling or something. Oh, come on. Yeah. So that was kind of our journey. And then we eventually came to Los Angeles. And uh, we were at a school in East L.A. What most people have noticed for, like Charisma Magazine, 700 Club, they all covered a, a school that got reached in, uh, in 2013 when East L.A. went from five kids to 500. And then that's kind of what exploded in, in Southern California. Now, it is it just um, it, warms, it it excites me because we talk about revival. The fact is you are living it. You know what I mean? Like that, that, those kind of numbers. And um, and then the, the people that God uses, I'm thinking, so go back 30 years when I started student ministry. Those people, many of the people that got saved there are people that you all now know around the world yeah. in either music or preaching or business or like in so many different spheres, but truly make they got radically saved, like saved, and they're making a difference for the kingdom. So true. It's, it's crazy. A lot of the people that have been heroes of mine in these years have become friends. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm pretty sure you know Nick Boyachik. Yes. Nick is a mentor. He's on my. He's on the board of One Voice. So wow. He's, he's mentored me these last four years, and uh, we actually brought him to a school. We had a crazy idea uh, a few years back. We're like, hey, why don't you come to a, a school in East LA on a Friday night, and we'll just see if the Bible Club kids will bring their parents. 
And so wow. I mean, this had never been done before in that, in that area. And so, and the school we were in was the first in America to have a plant parenthood clinic in the campus. So uh, I would be My gosh. during lunch and they would be giving condoms out to students. And so it was just crazy. And so we bring Nick in and I told him, I was like, hey dude, I know you preach for thousands. I don't, there might be like 20 kids here. I don't know who's gonna come. On a Friday night, 1600 students and families showed up to this auditorium. Wow. Um, and all we did was pass out uh, flyers in the neighborhood and all these families got saved and we knew like man like there's a massive mission field that's so untapped and it's i joke around i feel like it's the only mission field where kids are they have to be there or their parents go to jail you know it's like they're, they're four in one location for man. four years so it is uh, it's astounding to me and and i love how have you kept your passion this long what was that how have you kept your passion uh, this long and so on fire? You know, I think for, for me, I've always stayed in schools. And so I never just went to a desk. Um, I think being in schools, there's not one time I preach. I've been preaching for 11 years. And every time, I don't get nervous in conferences or even stadiums. I've, I've spoken at the Sen. I'm speaking at all the future Sens. That doesn't scare me. What terrifies me is 200 kids in South Central who, who are who I, I, have, I have 15 and a half minutes to let them know God loves them, God's real, or they'll not, they're not coming back. And so I feel like I, when I started, I didn't have lights. I didn't have a fancy system. All I had was like a really loud voice, uh, a beat up Bible. And I was just going every, every week. And I, I think that's what honesty has kept me even to this day, like 10, I've been doing this uh, since 2009. Um, long before one voice was even incorporated before we had staff, I moved to LA with $200 in my pocket. Um, had, I had nothing. And I, I love these stories. I love it. I love it. And that keeps the yeah. fire going. I agree. I say that to people everywhere. Um, they'll say, you know, how do you preach like you do? I go, oh, man, an arena full of Christians is easy. I mean, I said, I did seven years in schools where nobody has to listen to you. Uh, they will tell you what they think and it will, the words they use will not be in the Bible. And so it's yeah. either this thing is real or it's not. And so um, I, I would you know, my heart would be that every wannabe preacher would spend several years communicating in schools before they, and I think it would just keep everyone, it would keep you. Yeah, real it's real. I think one, <laughs> yeah, I think one of the most profound stories, I was in Compton. So I got into a school on, uh, off of Piru street. I'm pretty sure you've heard of the bloods and crypts. Yes. yes. So yeah. the bloods originated on Piru street. And I would preach on that street every week um, in the high school, uh, Centennial. And so I'd go to Centennial High. It was a school of about 700 kids. And I remember begging the principal, like, give me the gym, because he only let me go to the classroom. I said, give me the gym. We have 100 kids in the classroom every week. And he says, I, Brian, I, I can't give you the gym. You're going to put gangbangers, drug dealers in one room. Like, that's not going to be good. I said, I promise nothing will happen. Give me a gym. After like three, four months, he gives us the gym. And 300 kids come every single week in this school. But in this city, what was so interesting was in the earlier meetings, this, this girl, when I was preaching, she raises her hand and she says, hey, yo, mister, are you coming back next week? And I said, yeah, I'll be back next week. And she goes, maybe if you come back next week, I'll start listening to you. And so I think just the consistency that these kids long for, that's what's missing. Because it's not, there's no green rooms in high schools. There's no reserved seating. There's no 
kids don't even know my name half the time, you know, but they come and they encounter God. 100%, 100%. And that is the gospel. That is Christianity. That is preaching. And, you know, I think in the day in which we're living, God is shaking everyone to go, are we getting back to the heart of the gospel? And what it, the gospel was never green rooms. The gospel is the harvest field. That's, that's like yeah. Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers into the harvest. So I think that's like, it's, you know, I, I, I love what you're doing. Anyway, that's what I want to say. I love what you're doing. I better thank let you ask me the questions your wife wants to ask me. No, thank you so much. And honestly, again, we're, we're so honored. We've watched you from afar for so many years and, um, I think there's, there's few people that I'm like, I'm, I'm so stoked to jump on, on with. And again, we're just honored as a, as a ministry and our family, again, just that you would even take time in your day to, to conversate with us. Thank you so much. That. Was there anything that you were going to ask me? Yes. My wife okay. said a few things. And, um, so I'm not going to go in the order. She said, I'll just kind of read them. She put here, can you share with us, um, some of the, can you share with us some of the struggles and weak moments that you've had? As you've kind of been, have you, as, as you've built, you know, 821, these different movements that have come from you, has there ever been weak moments or struggles in building, uh, in building what you've built? Uh, yes, like every day. <laughs> um, yes, definitely there are challenges. And, uh, you know, the Bible says that, um, that when we are weak, then God is strong. If we are always strong and we are always full of our own ability, our own talent, our own gift, our own resources, then we actually never have a reason um, to rely on God. So to me, weakness is a sign of strength in the way that um, we have always been so far out of the boat. (laughs) People go, you know, walk on water. I'm like, honey, I can't even see the boat anymore. (laughs) Like we are so far out that I would say literally if Jesus... It, for us in a palpable way does not turn up every day. We are sunk. Like we are so, it's not that we sort of had steps of faith when we first started and it was like, let's pray and believe God because we've got nothing else. We've got no relationships. We've got no money. We've got no nothing. And we would pray and see miracles. But then what can happen is you could start to um, just trust your ability to uh, get partners, your ability to build systems and structures um, and you can start to get disappointed when people let you down, when people don't come through, when you experience betrayal and you start thinking it's a lot easier if I just did it by myself. It was a lot easier when I didn't have this whole system. Um, The fact is that your ability to say, okay, God, I need you because there are daily disappointments. You face discouragement. You know, you have a great, testimony like you know say you just said about the school that um but you know there there was months if not years of disappointments of not being given the gym until one day finally you get a gym like I say to people I have a lot of suddenlies and everyone reads my books and they love my sermons because I've got the suddenlies but most of my suddenlies have taken 15 to 20 years and so if you are not you'll never get a suddenly if you're not going to stick around um to have that and normally our first suddenly is the one that we love and then we want to build our whole life talking about that one suddenly five years ago when God opened up that school, when I had that revival, when I spoke in that. And so your greatest uh, danger to building what God has for you truly over the course of your life is um, early success. Paul says this one thing I do, forgetting those things that lie behind. That's not just the bad things. It's like, of course, 
you know, my background coming from a background of abuse and abandonment and adoption and um, marginalization and it just being the daughter of immigrants and growing up in a very poor um, community. But all of those things, it is one thing to go, yes, my history doesn't have to define my destiny. I've moved, you know, by the grace of God, with the strength of Jesus, I don't have to live as a victim of abuse or I don't have to. Uh, yes. And that is very much a part of my story that I will always tell because in every crowd, there are people that are broken, abused, have failed like I have, have made mistakes, and they need to know that Jesus has got a plan for you. Uh, but here is the deal that um, it's not just those things we've got to forget, those things that lie behind. We also, when you start to build what God wants and you start to get um, on track with your destiny, you also have to leave behind yesterday's success, yesterday's structure. Imagine if I'm going to be 53, uh, 54 in a couple of months. So imagine if at 54, all I did was talked about Chris Kane's good old days, preaching here, preaching there. I mean, it would be, um, I would have no reason to depend on Jesus for what's still ahead. I mean, we've got more A21 offices to build. We've got more stadiums to fill with unsafe people. We've got more lost people to be found. We've got more traffickers to put in jail. We've got more women to empower. Um, it, it, so I'm never really that focused on um, what has happened. I'm grateful and I give glory to God. But where I stay utterly dependent on God is when I'm aware on how much more, like if people start saying to me, wow, Chris, you know, you got followers, you got, I'll, I'll be very honest with you. I don't really spend my life focusing on how many are following me. What keeps me going and what keeps me utterly dependent on Jesus is I am conscious every day about how many are not following Jesus. So when I am aware every morning that there are 6 billion people on the earth today that are not following Jesus Christ, then I don't have that much time to think I'm all that because X amount of people follow me or in the little Christian subculture, you know, a few people, whatever that might mean. The only way you will actually do what God has called you to do, because Paul didn't say run your race. And we've got a generation that lives their life on Instagram and social media. Here is the greatest gift that the Lord gave me <laughs> is that I was saved before there was an internet I was released into ministry before there was social media. So I never once, I, because it did not exist, I could not go online to have a look at what anyone else was doing. I could not compare myself amongst ourselves because the Bible says that is not wise because I, I couldn't, I had to live the life that God called me to because I hadn't, I could not scroll through anyone else's life. So when you're not scrolling through someone else's life, you're living your life. And so because there was no social media, because there was no internet, I did not know the, only heroes of the faith I had was a few books about martyrs that died for the faith. So I thought the goal was that you would die for Jesus, that <laughs> I was going to be in the back of some Siberia, never renouncing Jesus Christ. And that was the highest. That's what I thought the goal was. I did not think the goal was followers. I didn't think the goal was like a filtered life. I didn't think the goal was invitations. Um, or celebrity. The goal was to preach Christ and him crucified. The goal was to populate heaven and to empty hell. The goal was that to lead people to Jesus. And so because of that, and all of my first decade in ministry was like that, um, it has helped me to remember what the one thing is, which means I'm utterly dependent on Jesus because I'm not looking at what I've done. I'm looking at what he still wants to do. Man, that's so good. I, I, I feel like it's so true. Our generation has given up dying for following. 
Oh yeah, uh, literally, it's, literally. It's crazy. I feel like I'm. I've had a lot of good fathers. You're probably familiar with Lou Engle. Lou Engle's yes. been a father to me. Obviously, Nick. There's been different. My pastor has been passionate me for uh, since I moved here to LA for about ten years. Um, and honestly, I love that these guys are so old school. Um, yes. Pastor, he, you know, I can I can come back from the send in Orlando, and he's like, "Awesome! Have you been reading your Bible? Have you been praying?" <laughs> just I'm like, I was just you know I was just here, Pastor. There was fifty eight thousand people, and he's like, "That's great! Like, are you loving your wife? Like, yep." like those in, in that's kind of what where I'm, I'm trying to learn how to communicate to millennials and obviously the next gen too but i think longevity is key you've been with hillsong for how long now 31 years and what i'm pretty sure in 31 years there's been many opportunities for offense there's been many opportunities for disagreements i mean how have you remained faithful um in where you're at because i think to me that that has spoken volumes to me that that you've, you've, you've obviously maybe not locationally from yes. wherever you started, but you've remained faithful to that place. How, how have you done that? Because I, I, I so long to, to, to do 80, 100 years in what God's called me in with the same people. I don't want to do ministry with perfect strangers. So how, how, have you, how have you done that? Yeah, it's a choice. You know, probably the best ministry advice I was given when I first started was, um, Christine, uh, don't get offended you will only be offended if you can be offended so when you're offended you will recognize that you're not that you're not unoffendable so a lot of times we go i'm unoffendable because you know there's no offense and deal quickly with offense and so it is the greatest um advice that i've been given it's very difficult to do most people uh immorality is a lot less likely to take you out of ministry than offenses. Offense will take you out quicker than immorality will. Unforgiveness and bitterness will short circuit your purpose and destiny way quicker than any moral issue. And so I think what we do is we don't guard our heart. That's why scripture says, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow all of the issues of life. And most of us don't guard our heart. We might guard our morality. We might guard other things about um, our lives, but we don't guard our heart. And the enemy will get in. And when that root of bitterness, the Bible says, you know, it takes root, it will defile, not just Jews, but it will defile many. I think in the age of social media, and particularly in our current climate of great pain, but um, you see that root of bitterness has defiled many. <clears throat> and it's defiled. It doesn't just defile you. It takes out a lot of people. And the enemy wants to take you out. What, what we forget sometimes is we get so issues focused. Um, we forget that there is a, we are in a, spiritual battle that we do not fight against flesh and blood but that um you know we war against powers and principalities and i think when you forget there's a spiritual battle you get focused on your temporal offenses your temporal bit you don't do what the bible says jesus says pray like this forgive us our sins as we forgive them that sin against us if you just pray that prayer every day every day you don't even have to get really technical with your prayers just pray jesus says just pray this you get to that part and then you start remembering everyone you've not forgiven and you've just asked God, can you forgive me according to the measure I've forgiven everyone else? That will help you to keep very wow. short offenses because I don't wow. know about you, but I need forgiveness every day. So if I say, forgive me my sins as I, as I have forgiven, and then I start thinking, whoa, let me just look at how little I have forgiven, how much bitterness. And then you start thinking, I've just asked God to forgive me according to how I've forgiven them. That helps you to get over your offenses a lot quicker. The only part of that 
prayer, I, or the only part of that scripture I ever heard spoken is, your kingdom come. You know, we want the kingdom of God on the earth. I've never heard anyone go into this next piece. And I think that's so true. I, man, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I've been old school in this, but I've encouraged our team. Because I, when, I, when I started One Voice, I went through years of feeling like a loser, years of feeling like I wasn't doing anything. Um, I think Instagram had just kind of come out. I don't even know how to use it back then. Um, you know, I, I had had years of being broke and having no money. And uh, my dad, who was very successful, not a believer, is like, get a real job, man. Like, yeah. you're some charity worker. And I'm like, no, like, God has a call on my life. I promise. I just don't get any money for it. And yeah, I, I went through that. And now that I sit on the other side of what I feel like has been breakthrough in those in those areas, my longing is for other young people that are coming up to get fathers and mothers. How important is it for fathering and mothering in our generation? And, and how important is it even for me? I'm, I'm 29 and I've kind of been convicted by this, this verse in Matthew. It's in the genealogy. It says uh, that Josiah became the father of his brothers. And I felt like the Lord annihilated my excuse at my age, man, I couldn't father anybody. Oh, and absolutely. How it, important is that? Well, it's, it's, it, well, Paul says, you know, teachers, you have many. Fathers, you don't have many. That, the fathers and mothering, I think, is the issue for our generation. So both in the natural and in the spiritual. And I think with so much confusion on the earth and so much brokenness and pain and suffering, the very concept of what, what is a father, what is a mother, has been so damaged. Um, and then everyone wants to be a celebrity teacher and a celebrity preacher. But Paul already said, oh, teachers, you have many fathers you don't have many that's the issue the true father's heart and the fact that josiah you know it's interesting that you mentioned him he was um eight years old when he came to the throne 16 he started to uh you know kind of institute a lot of reform and in his 20s um he had revival i think God's oh, i think we lost you your head. Oh, sorry you got me back there we go yeah. i think like a little bit yeah you just kind of see him that um at 16, Josiah puts reforms in. So he starts fathering. Eight years old, he takes the throne. 16, he's got reforms. 20, revival breaks out because he fathered a generation in an interesting way. He was so young and he was the only really good king at the end of the day. And he's the one that saw revival. We need a, I keep saying we need a Josiah generation. But the things that he did, which are evidence of fathering, um, I think, is the four big things he did was the first thing, he tore down the idols of his generation. He tore down all the altars and the idols. A good father will do that. The problem with Eli, he was a great prophet, but not a good father because he never confronted his sons. And because he didn't confront his sons about their idolatry and their immorality, even he ended up losing the anointing and going crazy. And what we're seeing is a lot of leaders and teachers that were once incredible prophets but they refuse to confront their children, both in the faith and in the natural. And they're allowing ungodliness and unholiness to be excused as, I don't know, contemporary relevance and whatever. Um, and so we are losing a generation of Eli's that were great prophets, but they won't confront their children. And so then the Josiahs uh, need to step up. And although they're of the same age, 
they're going to do what the prophet should have done, which is tear down the idols for each generation, dare to name them, dare to confront them, dare to tear them down. He also then, he rebuilt the house of God, the centrality of the house of God. He built the temple. Um, and until we rebuild, instead of trying to keep tearing down the church, but rebuilding the centrality of the house of God. Um, and then in that, the Bible says he uncovered the word of God. Um, so in a generation that's trying to dilute the word of God, that's trying to undermine the authority of the word of God, we need fathers of your generation that are going to hold up the centrality of the word of God. And just because people might not like what's in it doesn't mean it's not true. Just because it convicts and confronts us and has many things in it that are countercultural doesn't mean it's not true. But we need a generation that will rediscover the truth of the word and boldly proclaim and declare and decree in love with grace and mercy and compassion, the word of God. And then the Bible says that, um, that Josiah restored worship. And so the centrality of, you know, of, of, Jesus as God and worshiping him, not just as a cool guy to follow, but as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and, and reinstating the Lordship of Christ, because you become what you worship, um, what you behold, you become. And we are beholding so many other things on social media, so many issues, um, so many other things that are good things, but we are making gods out of things that should never be gods. Jesus is Lord. So until we, um, you guys, and it's got to come from your generation because some of my generation um, in Australia, we would use the phrase has lost the plot, has just like, I don't know, in the name of relevance or in the fear of um, not wanting to offend a millennial generation is more like an Eli not willing to confront their sons and daughters in the natural and spiritual. So we need the Josiahs that are part of the generation that are saying, well, we're going to tear down the temples. We're going to rebuild the house. We are going to restore the centrality of the word and we're going to restore worship to our generation. I think that's what a father really does. Um, a father isn't just that I'm going to just listen to you and let you do whatever you want or, um, but, but a, a father and God is our loving father. And Hebrews says a loving father corrects a loving father chastises a lot. And it's sort of like, we think if there is any correction, if there is any discipline, if there is any chastisement, um, we think that it is just wrong or somehow you're not being a loving father. And I'm like, uh, read the scripture. It's quite the antithesis. And of course, we're not talking about any form of abuse or misuse or any. No. That's a given, but I have to say it because someone might say something. So of course, that's a given. Um, but we're talking about godly, um, godly correction. And so I think that that's where the fathering is. And so, you know, you wanting to go into a school for all these years without remuneration, not doing it for any credibility. In fact, it's kind of the loser job in the Christian hierarchy of what really matters. You know, um, it's like that's a fathering role. It's that there's a generation in schools fatherless. They don't know that there's a God there's a father in heaven that loves them, that's got a plan and a purpose and a destiny for their life. Um, that's fathering, that's loving. And so when you've got a generation of young people that feel called but want to be celebrity preachers and not fathers, we've got a real problem at what kind of ministers we're producing um, to go into the world because we're not actually producing ministers. A celebrity and a minister are not the same thing. And the fact is we have confused gift with anointing. We think because people are gifted, that they're called or because they're gifted, they're awesome. But a gift never changed anyone's life. A gift can entertain people, obviously. A gift can wow people. 
But it's only the anointing that breaks yokes and chains and bondages. And uh, in our country and in our generation, we don't understand the difference between gift and anointing. So we wonder why people come to our meetings and they're bound and they're in chains and shackles and they leave the meeting and they're still bound and in chains and shackles. But that's because they've been wowed by a gift, but they haven't encountered an anointing. But you'll never become anointed until you're willing to go into the dark room and be pressed and crushed and die to self and live in anonymity and obscurity and do the things no one else wants to do and be formed in the anonymous places. And because a generation is largely unwilling to do that, we want the spotlight of social media and we want the invitations that we think really matter. So we are missing opportunity to do the work of God, which is what a true father would do or a true mother would do. Um, and so we're missing it all. And so that's what I think. So, yes, long-winded so way with 20 sub-sermons to go, yes, we need fathers and mothers. That's so good. You know, it's crazy. I remember uh, this six, seven years ago, I was in a hotel room traveling to preach. Um, and I remember I was on Instagram and I was looking at one of my buddies. He was, you know, getting really known and speaking. I mean, I, 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 I've spoken at every small church in L.A. That's been my... my <laughs> I've spoken in churches that are underneath Korean barbecues. I mean, this is awesome. Even though they existed. Um, but I'm in this hotel room and I'm scrolling and I'm looking at his Instagram and my heart is so jealous and I hear the Lord speak to me and the Lord says, do you want that? And I says, do I want what? And the Lord says, do you want that? Do you want fame? Because I'll give it to you if you want it. And I, and I knew it would come at the cost of anointing. And I says, no. And the Lord says, enclose your phone now. Great. And it was this really, really firm, like, like you want, like, I will give you over to the, those desires or you, again, you can be put away for some years and be developed. And I, I don't know, like for you, what has been the main ingredients of faithfulness um, to remain, not just at the same, obviously you've been with Hillsong, but even in, even in your God given calling, like I've been doing high schools and and I literally had to go meet with all my staff this last week and say, hey, guys, every school in America shut down. I live in California. I don't know what the opening process is going to be. I don't know if they're even going to allow gatherings anymore like they used to. Um, so, but, but I don't feel my mission has changed. I feel my method has changed. Yeah. So you, what, what has been keys to faithfulness in your actual calling? Because I feel like I deal with people who don't necessarily battle a salvation attack. They battle a calling attack where one minute they're called of God and then the next minute they don't know anymore. Totally. And, and your calling is always going to be tested. And um, I think, you know, we've got to remember, I just spoke to my staff about some of this this morning um, because, of course, like the rest, we've got countries in 20, I mean, we've got offices in 20 cities around the world. And so our mission hasn't changed. But obviously in a post-COVID-19 world, how we do it has changed because um, every country's reopening process is different. Some things yeah. will never will never go back to normal as we knew yeah. them. And so but if the Lord has still called us to abolish slavery, reach the lost, um, okay, what does that now look like? The mission hasn't changed. So I think you've got to get attached to the calling and the mission, not the method. And a lot of us get too caught up in the method and not the mission. And so we end up actually going off mission because we're obsessed with our method. So I think for me 
I have just, and oh my gosh, I'm still not there. But Paul said, you know, I have run my race and finished my course. A lot of us, we're, we're good shooting stars, man. We come out, God call me. You know, I'm going to be the next Billy Graham to the world. I'm like, uh, and um, it's like a shooting star. And two years later, you go, uh, where did they go? You know, where did that star go? But the Lord's not calling us to be shooting stars. He's calling us to be lighthouses. Um, and that means that, you know, we we got to be go deep for the long haul to put light out there and the enemy will come after you he will try to derail you and again i still maintain the way he's going to come after you it's with issues of the heart um and lust jealousy the stuff we don't talk about like what we talk about a lot is you know um immorality don't have an affair you know some sort of the big ones um greed gold glory you know, girls yeah. or guys, whatever, all of the big, the big things. But what we don't talk a lot about in our generation, but it's, it's even more dangerous, but it's the internal, um, it's, it is the, it's greed, but we mask it differently um, in, in, in a social media world and lust, but we mask it differently in a social media world. Um, envy, guile, uh, think about how we post things, gossip, slander. I mean, I just think when we stand before the Lord um, and show him, we don't need to show him because he reads it every day, our social media accounts, and ask how many of us um, sin with gossip, slander. How many of us call people out that, that we, we have never gone to the person ourselves, never had it, I mean, never done what the Bible says, um, and somehow we justify it with, I'm just speaking truth to power. I'm, just, I'm like, wow, okay, okay. Um, it is really challenging in this day and age because a lot of the, um, and, you know, the Lord said to Samuel, I don't look at the outside like man looks it would be good for a generation to remember that um the lord looks at the heart the lord said that to him he goes man you're looking at eliab and you think he's awesome because he's got a great instagram account and he has filtered it once wonderfully but let me just tell you uh um samuel i'm not looking at eliab's instagram account um david doesn't have an instagram account but he's out there in the back of a school in south compton doing doing the work no instagram account um, he's with that church, you know, under the Korean barbecue place. And um, that's, that's where I'm looking. And that's the one that I've anointed. And that's the one that I've done. And so somehow, I don't know, I've just not lost sight of that. And, and because I'm so aware of my own fallibilities and my own mistakes, and that I know I am only here because of the grace of God. And I mean that, like, I'm not just playing, oh, hashtag humble brag. I'm saying to you, in, in all honesty, I am so acutely aware that um, Jesus Christ saved me. I did not deserve it. It wasn't just what was done to me. Yes, I had a broken past, but, but I did plenty of my own junk, of my own volition, of my own sin and iniquity. And I think you can't ever be really aware of your own sin and think you've actually got that much to bring to the table. It's by grace. I, I cannot believe I cannot believe that God would trust me with his gospel. That I could not I cannot believe that the God of the universe would invite me to co-labor with him for the evangelization of planet Earth before the second coming of Jesus. I mean, are, are you kidding me? After where I've been, what I've done, my own sin in my own heart, um, it astounds me. So I think when you understand the grace that we get to do this, um, and unfortunately, when you convince, when you confuse a calling with a career, you've just lost the power of 
of the of of what this is and so my calling flows out of my intimacy with jesus a career is something that i build now my my spiritual mother is joyce meyer she said to me really in the early days chris be careful that um you don't try to put yourself anywhere because if you put yourself somewhere you're gonna have to keep yourself there if god puts you there that's fine you just god god will keep you there or god will move you on you don't have to be looking over your shoulder you don't have to think about nothing um and I'm pretty much, you know, if I can get through every day by the grace of God and I'm still serving Jesus, my marriage is still strong, my kids still love me, um, I could put my head on the pillow with integrity, I, I'm, I'm happy. I'm not, it's not that I'm thinking like how big is And the Lord could take it away. You know, Joyce also said to me, like, I don't, I've got to build this thing, man. I, well, I really don't. I work hard, make no mistake. I, um, I'm, I'm anyone that knows me, you know, I, one of my life scriptures is um, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is never in vain. Um, I truly believe that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared for us, um, that we've got to keep pressing on, that we've got to keep building. I'm very big on all of that, but I'm not confused about who's doing it. I'm not confused about, the fact that um, it will happen with or without me. God does not need me. Like God, uh, it, and I am honestly, honestly astounded that God would use me. And very early on when I first started in ministry um, and the prophets came um, to Presbytery when I finished Bible college and they spoke a word over my life, which has come to true, but it was out of John chapter 2 and it said, um, when Jesus came into Jerusalem, basically it's all the crowds were cheering. You're awesome. And the, and in that scripture, it says, but Jesus did not give ears to man because he knew what was in the heart of man. And the prophet said to me in 1990, um, Christine, that's going to be your verse for life that for you. And I mean, I was nothing like nobody. I didn't even know. And they said, um, with a personality like yours, People are either going to be like, she's awesome, you know, she's, well, great activist, runs a, um, or, you know, she's the Antichrist. I've got a voodoo doll. I'm going to stick pins in her. She's really evil and she's a woman and she preaches and that's really evil. Yeah, whatever it might be, it's always going to be. Um, so, Christine, you have to learn very early, uh, don't give ears to man because the heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Including my own heart, everybody's heart. So if you are going to live for the accolades of people, you're never going to make it. So you have to know, and then you have to just make a decision that during this journey, I'm going to have some days, metaphorically speaking, like Paul, I'm going to be in a prison cell. Sometimes I'm going to be in shipwrecks. Sometimes people are going to love me. Sometimes they're going to hate me. Um, sometimes it's going to be really hard. Some days I'm going to abase. Some days I'm going to abound. So Christine, you better learn to be content. Um, and at the end of the day, you're going to have to stand before Jesus and there's a couple of things you have to do, Christine. There better be a lot of things you're doing in private, Chris, because in an Instagram social media world and with a life like mine, many people watch what I do. Many people see a lot of what I do. Many people applaud what I do. But I'm not going to get any rewards in eternity for all of that because I'm getting all those rewards here on earth. So if I, and Joyce said that to me once, I was at a conference and I got this standing ovation. It was in a big arena and she turned and said to me, whispered in my ear while everyone's giving me this big ovation. She goes, well, Christine, I hope you really enjoyed that because that's all you're going to get. So I hope that two minutes of applause was worth it 
And you better go now and find something to do that nobody sees because if you want Jesus to give you any rewards, if you want to have any crowns to cast before his feet when you get to heaven, you better go do something that nobody sees right now. And that has always stuck with me. You know what I mean? And so sometimes we can miss all of that and go, um, I get such a disproportionate amount of attention on earth. A lot of what I do on earth, the only reward I'm going to get is here on earth. Uh, because I'm already getting it and people think I'm awesome and they give me awards and they give me likes and they give me follows and they think you're fantastic. So I better find some things to do that are costly that nobody knows so that the Lord knows. Man, I am, I am speechless. That is so good, <laughs> man. You know, I, I'm, I don't know if you know who Banning Leapshire is. From I know of, I never met, but yeah. Um, I invited Banning uh, for almost I don't know, almost seven years in a row to come to one of our conferences. And he kept saying no. And so finally he comes and uh, he says, you know why I never came to none of your events before? And I says, why? He goes, because I wanted to see if you were the real deal. He said, I see a lot of people come and a lot of people go. And he goes, you've remained, Brian. And, and I feel like that message of remaining, <clears throat> that message of what you just said, even I've never, again, some of the things you're saying, I've just never heard put that way. The, you know, our, our job as preachers, a lot of times we do get applauded and I never realized, wow, that is some, that is my reward. There it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, man, I, I think even for our community now, that ministry looks so different. I think I long now to, to take us to a place that, of things that are unseen. And I, and I think that's been the, the hard, the hardest deceiving part of one voice is we've had very, very tangible fruit. When you go into a school and there's 500 kids Who's not going to applaud that? For the most part, I have I have had people, you know, persecuted and say it was from Satan because it was too fast in growth. I mean, those people are are, are very. Oh very my limited. lord! <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, there, I've had some interesting uh, encounters, but for the most part, most people have applauded that. But I feel like in some ways it's so deceiving because you can live off of that tangible fruit and you lose the, the intimacy. And I, I just want to ask, you know, just to honor your time, Wendy, one more question. And okay. What in your, your private life has been, like, so key when it comes to foundational things like the Bible or the Word? I mean, is there a certain, is there a certain thing you've committed to for the last 30 years that, hey, I'm going to hold to reading my Bible once a day or I'm going to hold to spending time with God or... Or maybe before you speak, I've known I've been around a lot of different ministers, and they have just different things that they've kind of deals they've made with the Lord. Like I'm just going to stick to this, no matter where I go in life. Has there been any foundational things you can give us that we can learn from from you? Yeah, I think however it looks, because I travel so much, it's not like there is a regular. This is the one way, but every day in some way, however that I I I have quiet time and reflection and the word. I mean, that, that just is non-negotiable, whatever that might look like. Um, you really, and it's, we're not just making it um, up. Your, your degree to truly um, be effective in ministry, it flows from your own personal relationship with Jesus. I mean, if you, you know, ever turn this book into just a textbook or you got your top five sermons, man, and you know how to work a crowd, it's the beginning of the end. If that go, you know, I'm not saying there's not times where we all just have to push through and you do it by faith. I'm not saying that. We all do that. But if it is becoming sustained, you're in dangerous territory. Like truly, um, and 
so I'm, I'm very careful. I don't want to get kind of legalistic about this is yep. what works. You know, um, I've been married 25 years almost. Uh, wow. You know, it's, it's not the same every time with me and my husband. The, the intimacy is different and it happens in different ways. And it, it, I like to think of it like that with the Lord. You know, it's like, okay, it's... Um, but as long as it's happening, as long as we're together, as long as we're creating those moments. And once you kind of know there's just something not right, like I'm not, I'm not locking in. I think when you, when you no longer realise you, it's like a married couple, when you're sort of just sitting on the couch watching TV and you, you're just going through the routines, but you're not even realising you're not intimate anymore. In terms of your communication is what I'm talking about or your, your connection. Um, that is really dangerous. And I think for a lot of ministers, um, they've got so many pressures and don't spend their time in the word in a devotional way. I'm not just talking in an academic or getting ready for a sermon. I'm talking in a devotional way where the Lord could speak to us as his beloved and, and where we remember we are beloved children of God before we're great ministers, that God loves us, that we are his kids, that we don't have to know it all, that we are, if, when you lose that place, man, um, I think it starts to un, really untangle. That's when you start getting controlling and, you know, you're trying to, instead of just being, you start trying to do and do and do, and eventually you burn out. Um, I always say it's not what, how much you do for the Lord that makes you burn out. It's what you stop doing. So it's when you stop paying attention to your spiritual disciplines, to your Bible, times of worship, just walks with the Lord, um, solitude with the Lord, however it works for you. But that place of intimate connection, when you stop doing that, you could still be having a quiet time every day, but just going through the motions, you know. Yeah. But once you've stopped truly finding that place of intimacy like you do in a, in a marriage, then, then that is the beginning of the end. It's not like, man, that person burnt out because they were doing too much ministry and they were doing too many schools. And a lot of the times we do all of that to hide the fact that there's no intimacy. But, you know, when you wait upon the Lord and you have that intimacy, that's why people always say, how at 53, Chris, 54, are you doing so much? I don't feel like I am because those that wait upon the Lord shall renew. There it is. Their strength. It's supernatural. It's a divine exchange. So that comes out of that place of um, intimacy. Shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. And here is the deal. This is the promise of scripture. I've been confessing this over my life for 30 years. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And so by God's grace for 31 years, by his grace, I'm not saying it hasn't been hard. I haven't had challenges. I haven't had times I've wanted to just get out of here and just go, this is not worth it. All of those things. But over the course of three decades, I've run and not grown weary. I've walked and not fainted. By God's grace, um, that will continue. And I will, um, but the secret to that is not that I'm cool. The secret to that is that you wait upon the Lord. That's not a passive thing. That's not like a Zen Buddhist monk, you know, in some little monastery, umming my way. It's, it's an actively leaning in um, to God and to his plan and to his purpose. And, I think a lot of us wait a lot more on our social media numbers than we do on the Lord, or we wait a lot more for the next invitation that's going to give me my big break than we wait on the Lord. And, um, it, you know, unless you get that right, man, I'm telling it, it, you, know, I, I'm like uh, now I'm an old woman, so I can say it, it really doesn't matter. It's like, I, it, it's, um, it's not like, oh man, she's just become old and, and she's just saying all this old stuff matters. No, I'm, I'm trying to say to you, this is what has kept me in the race for 30 years. And at least at this point, 
I haven't slowed down much. A21's growing bigger than ever. Propel Women's growing bigger than ever. Equipment Empower's reaching more people than ever. So maybe it's different if I was 90 and on the decline, you'd probably go, okay, she's just trying to. I'd be saying, you know what? Pretty much I'm in my mid-50s and still still producing, so I would possibly listen to what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. Christine, thank you so, so much. I I really pray I get to meet you in per, uh, person again with my wife. Yes, yes. All of us together when, when everything kind of... We're in the same city. We should do dinner. I We would love that. Um, my I'm just bragging on my wife. They can cook some bomb Mexican food. My wife's uh, from Salvador. Um, she came here when she was two. So if you want some good Hispanic food, that's come on. Um, you are you and your husband are more than welcome to come come to our home, meet our, meet our family, or we can go out somewhere, wherever. It's a deal. Uh, we'll we'll DM. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Would you mind just just Brian, praying? Thank you. Yes, I've loved being with you all. Okay, Father, I I thank you um, for One Voice Student Missions, Father. I thank you for. Uh, God, their passion for a generation. Lord, your mandate to us was to go into all the world and make disciples, not just stay inside the church and entertain one another. So I thank you, Lord, that this ministry has taken um, to heart what makes your heart beat. And, Father, when our heart beats for what your heart beats for, Lord, you breathe on that. So, Father, I pray that even during this season where Although we are surprised by what's happened with COVID, you're not. So, Father, you know the way forward. I pray for Brian and the whole leadership team that you would give them divine strategies, opportunities, Father, for ways forward into schools. Um, Lord, I pray that you would give them great favor. Father, I thank you that you open doors that no man can shut. I pray that bigger doors open, more doors open, greater opportunity opens, greater fruitfulness is ahead of them. I pray for supernatural provision for their ministry, Father, in Jesus' name and for all their teams, Lord. Lord, I pray that there would come unexpected resource from unusual places. Um, Father, let it be. And God, I pray for increased anointing, increased growth, increased favor, increased opportunity. Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, bless them, I pray in Jesus name. In Jesus name. Uh, Christine, really quick. I just remembered, I don't know if you're familiar with Sean Bowles at all. Yes, definitely. Yes. Sean gave me a word uh, in 2018. And he said, the Lord will connect you with someone from Hillsong in these next years. And I, and literally, you're the first person that I've ever been able to connect with who's part of a Hillsong stream. What? And I just, you were praying, I just remembered uh, his word. And he talked about how um, Hillsong would be catalytic to reaching high schools in America uh, and reaching youth. But I just, I literally was just remembering that. And so I'm just, I feel like this was even just a fulfillment of something that the Lord had spoken. Amen. One- what was that? I said, amen. And, you know, um, Hillsong has always had such a priority passion for schools. So this yeah. is huge. Yes, we're, again, so honored. And uh, we look forward to, to, to seeing you in person. So, yeah. Okay. Bye-bye, my friend. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye.